Good morning, church family. You guys want to open your Bibles and join me in John 21? We're going to be reading John 21 today. <clears throat> After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, did you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the nets on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. The disciple, whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work. They threw and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards off. When they got out on the land, they saw the charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, this was now the third time Jesus was revealed, revealed to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abro abroad among the brothers that the disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now, therefore, we also... There were also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them written to, were to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. 
join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we thank you for the truth of your word, Lord. And Lord, we just want to thank you for the Gideons this morning, Lord. We just ask that uh, that you bless them and, and their mission and what they do, Lord. That uh, you open the doors for them to share your word with a world who desperately needs you, Lord. And as we come together today and, and uh, we help uh, support the Gideons, Lord, we just ask that you bless the monies that are given and, and that they go out and, and spread your word, Lord. We just ask that you... Uh, uh, put it on our hearts, Lord, if uh, you've called us to be part of the Gideons, that we would answer that call and be true to your name. Lord, as we just uh, come before you today and we open your word, Lord, we just ask that your, your word speaks truth to our hearts, Lord, opens our hearts, our eyes, that we see the world, that, uh, or see the people that you want us to be, Lord, in the world who desperately needs you. We ask blessing on Jackie as he brings forth your word, and we just give this all to you in Jesus' name. Amen. That's kind of funny. <clears throat> so how's everybody? You all right? Are you sure? We are going to take a look at uh, probably, <laughs> I probably say this too much, one of my favorite sections of scripture, John chapter 21, and there's a reason for that. We want to understand when we come to John chapter 21, what we, I thought we wrapped up John last week. John 20, right? The disciples all see Jesus. Jesus commissions the disciples. Hey, I've got a job for you. The same way the Father sends me, I'm sending you. We see them all get the opportunity to see him. And then John says, hey, if I wrote anything else, all the books, all the books couldn't contain all the things. We've already heard this before. And then John writes an appendix. Another chapter, another story at the end. After he's summated it all, he writes us this story about uh, himself, his brother, John and James, and, and Peter. And he's writing this because, see, when Jesus appeared to him in John 20, he commissioned him. I got a job for you guys to do. And then Jesus is gone. So he's not there like he was before. He's not always there to, to talk to them and, and to share with them what they should do, how they should respond. So John writes this in John 21. It says, after this, Jesus revealed himself a third time. Simon Peter, Thomas, called a twin. That's the one we call Doubting Thomas. Nathaniel, you remember? Nathaniel's the guy who came to Jesus and he said, truly an Israelite in whom there is no guile. You remember? And the sons of Zebedee. That's, there was a partnership here. You may not know this, but there's a partnership here between Simon Peter, at least Simon Peter and the sons of Zebedee. They were all part of the fishing business. They functioned together. Simon, James, and John. And they've been commissioned last week. Jesus says, hey, I got a job for you. I, I, I got something I, I have for you to do. Like the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And now, after Jesus has, has disappeared, we don't know how many days has passed, John tells us a story about Peter saying to his friends, yeah, I'm going fishing. And that I'm going fishing is not like you and I say I'm going fishing. That I'm going fishing is like, them saying, I'm going farming, or 
I'm going welding if I'm a welder. Or I'm going teaching if I'm a teacher. <clears throat> the point is, this is Peter and James and John and these men going back. I, I'm going, we spent three years walking with Jesus and doing whatever Jesus told us to do. And, and, and I'm, I'm going back. I'm going back to fishing. I'm going back to the things I know. And everybody in their walk with Christ is going to face this moment. I, you're going to, I, I promise you, there's, there's an important reason why God asks his people to be together in a church. It's not because that's the only place you can relate to God. It's not because that's the only place. It's because when we come together in this building, we tick each other off. We let each other down. We make each other mad. And we can all say, you know, just be, you know I'm just going to forget all that stuff. I'm just going to go do my thing. I'm just going to go do my part. But you know what Paul would tell us? He would say that we, you and I, we are the body of Christ. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've given your, your heart to Jesus Christ. You serve him as Lord and King. If, if that's you, then you're part of the body and I'm part of the body. And nobody can function apart from one another. When we withdraw or isolate, we die. That's what happens. Peter becomes just a fisherman. James and John become just fishermen. Nathaniel becomes just what he was before Christ. And so as they're facing this challenge and they say, I'm going fishing, and the guys all respond, well, we'll go with you. So they go and they get in a boat. Now, how did they get a boat? This is the Zebedee fishing family. You guys don't understand. These guys are called from big time fishing. That's like, that's like I, don't, I don't even know what to compare it to. Zebedee fishing, it was huge. The high priest, Caiaphas, and you know how John got in to see the, the trial of Jesus? Because he's Zebedee. And Zebedee fishing is not some little thing. So how do you get a boat? You walk back up and you go to the family fishing business and you say, I'm going to take that one. And they say, who are you? They're not going to say, who are you? They know who John and James are. Oh, them are the Zebedee boys. They call them the sons of thunder. Yeah, they had a tendency to want to wanna fight first and talk later. That's how they were. They go get their boat. It says, we go with you. We, they go out into a boat and they fish all night and they get nothing. So the beginning as they go out and they're and they're pondering they're pondering where's my place in the body of Christ and how am i supposed to function and here's the reason why they're struggling because all of these guys came face to face with who they really are and the biggest problem the number one problem in the church today is that people don't know who they are let me help you you are a sinner you have failed Christ. So have I. We fail Christ. Just like the disciples. What did they do? They failed Christ. Did they abandon him in his hour of need? Absolutely they did. Did Peter deny him three times? Absolutely he did. This is who we are. We've got to withdraw from the idea that we're relatively good people. We're not relatively good people. 
We're a bunch of hacks. And we need Christ to unite us together to become one body where each one has something to give. I just want you to understand, if you're not at church, if you don't come to church for a few weeks, not only do we miss you, the body misses you. There's something you give to the body that we don't have when you're not here. That's why we gather. Because this is how we're strengthened, this is how we're encouraged, and this is how the body functions. Let's just say, for example, do you want to give your left hand the week off? Just go home and lop it off. Put it in the freezer. And say, I'm going to go the next week without my left hand. That's going to be a real problem for me because that's my clutch hand. I'm not exactly sure how to shift without my left hand. I will miss my left hand. Now, my left hand might say, you know what? I'm cool in the fridge. I'm just chilling. Uh, Hey, I got weak jokes just like everybody else. But the body is missing what's not there. Here, Peter, James, John, these guys, they're they're gone and they're off fishing, but it's a it's a they're they're unsatisfied in it. Because here's the reality: if you truly have come to know Christ, if you truly have surrendered yourself to him, trying to go back to a place where where you pretend like he's not with you and he hasn't called you and he's not directing you will never satisfy. You'll be miserable, pain in the butt to everybody around you. So what is it that we're supposed to do? We're supposed to learn from this story. Look what happens to them. Fished all night long, just as the day is breaking, verse 4, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't know who it was. So they couldn't tell. It's far enough away, right, from where the boat is, but they see a guy on the shore. They know there's a little fire there. It says, uh, yet the disciples didn't know. So Jesus said, children, do you have any fish? There's a couple of things I don't want you to miss. When Jesus calls them children, when he calls out to them and says, children, do you have any fish? The word is a pedia. It is a a child still under instruction. So he's saying to them, "Uh, you're not released from your rabbi yet. Uh, That would be anybody under the instruction of the rabbi, right? The the children under the instruction of the rabbi, he says, they would be called the padilla. Until he leaves and turns them loose, now they have become men. But this time, hey, your children, your boys still under an instructor. And it is the only phrase he ever used for the disciples. He calls out, do you have any fish? For the first time in the history of mankind, fishermen told the truth. Because every time I ask a guy, if I'm going fishing and there's a boat coming in and we're getting ready to launch a boat and I say, how'd you do? A lot of times they'll say, oh, I don't have anything, but they will tell me about the 42 fish that they almost had. Here in this case, they're just mad. If you fished all night and didn't get nothing, you're mad if you're a professional fisherman in a professional fishing boat out on a lake you fished your whole life and you have no fish you are mad you're irritated i have no fish 
So this whole statement should make their minds go back to Luke chapter 5. If you, if you flip over to Luke chapter 5, I'm not going to read the whole thing. Jesus is there. He's standing at the Sea of Galilee. He sees two boats. He gets into one of the boats and he tells Simon, put out a little ways. And he says to Simon, so the fishermen are coming in and Jesus hijacks the boat, and makes them go back out. And, and Simon says to him, Jesus says, hey, let's go out and catch some fish. And Peter says, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. So he's mad. But at your word, I'll let the nets down. So, you know, okay, well, it's your dime. Well, I'll let the nets down, but there ain't no fish in this, in this lake. I have said that a hundred times. I have gone out to salmon in a boat with a fish finder on it that's alive from the pit. They sell you a fish finder, and all it is is a video game that puts little, little dots that swim by every once in a while. So you think there's fish in the water, and you fish, and you fish, and you fish. You don't catch no fish, and I say there's no fish in this lake. Usually, usually about that time, Don comes by with a whole boat full of fish. He is, the, he is the fish whisperer. So, so they say there, there's no fish here, but okay, we'll let them down. And when they did this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. Who was with him? James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And that's when Jesus said to him, hey, you think this is something? From now on, you will be fishers of so here you have Jesus calling them from the crowds. They don't recognize him. He asks them, little children, one still under an instructor, you know, what are you doing here? It's similar to me. This conversation is similar to me. You go all the way back to Genesis in the fall of man, and you have Adam and Eve hiding from God. You remember? And God comes, and he says, hey, where are you guys? Do you really think the Lord doesn't know? You think their creator, he couldn't see in the bush where they were hidden. No. God comes looking for us on the times when we are off the path he's called us to. Adam and Eve off the path, here these disciples. He said to them, cast your net on the right side of the boat. <laughs> I, this still bugs me. Maybe, maybe I need to talk to a professional fisherman. If you're in a lake... And you cast, say I'm out of salmon, and I cast out, far as I can cast, the lake is 100 feet deep. Do you know where that bait's going? Under the boat. It's not staying over there. Unless you got some kind of rig to hook to something, it ain't staying over there. It's going under the boat. So if I turn around and cast way on the other side, where's it going? Under the dumb boat. If you cast your nets on the right side, well, what do you think's happening? Where's the net going? Under the boat, just like it would, just like everybody else. So gee, the, here's the important thing. I, there's several things I want you to pick up on this. One, it is we are looking now at the instruction of Jesus. How do we respond to the instruction of Jesus? If Jesus instructs us and we say that doesn't make any sense, what should we do? You do what he says. It doesn't make any difference, Lord, if I cast on the right side or the left side. Oh, it does. Because Jesus said, do what? Go cast it on the right side. So what am I going to do? 
I'm going to cast it on the right side because he is the Lord. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and not do the things I say? So Jesus says, cast on the right side. I don't need a reason. I cast on the right side. Jesus says, wrap yourself up in a net and jump in the water and you'll catch a lot of fish. I'm going to wrap myself up in a net, jump in the water. It does not have to make sense to me. It didn't make sense to march around Jericho. It didn't make sense to stand in front of Jericho with your entire army and say, you know what we're going to do today while we're across the Jordan and now we're in a place where they can attack us. What we're going to do is, is we're all going to enter. We're going to do what? Yes. Yeah, well, they did some singing for sure. They're going to do some singing that day too. Because the Lord said, it's time to be circumcised. So they circumcise the entire army. You guys all know what that means, right? <laughs> they circumcise the entire army just outside the walls of Jericho. Did you know that? So for three days, them dudes are not... Three days, I don't think, is near enough time. But hey, <laughs> for three days, those guys did nothing. Nothing. But, and you would say, this doesn't make sense. Why didn't you do it on the other side of the river? You were safe over there, but you crossed it. Why would you do it over here? I'll tell you why. Because the Lord said, do it. So what do you do? You do it. If the Lord says do it and you say no, this is all that means. He is not your Lord. That's why Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things I say? One of the two things is not true. So our instruction when Jesus instructs us we obey and when we obey how Jesus instructs us <clears throat> we will find what it is we're looking for in Ephesians 3 verse 20 it says now unto him who is able to do abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen Cast the net on the right side. So they cast it. And they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. <clears throat> so the disciple whom Jesus loved, we know who that is, right? So just so you know, that doesn't mean that's the only one Jesus loved. <laughs> Who's writing the book? John, yeah. Well, that's a fine way to... To distinguish yourself, I'm the one Jesus loved. Here's the important part about why John's doing that. Because Jesus loves his disciples. So he distinguishes. He loves his disciples. Why is Jesus there? It's not because he's mad at his disciples. Disciples are bad. They did something dumb again. No. God has more patience than you and I. We run out of patience much sooner than the Lord. Do you know that? We run out of patience. Here's one verse that I repeat to myself a thousand times a day. It is this. The wrath of man will never accomplish the righteousness of God. The wrath of man will never accomplish the righteousness of God. I have to remind myself because I want to act in my wrath or anger. And that's not how God wants me to react. He wants me to react according to his truth. According to his word but not according to my wrath. So God's not upset. 
He comes here, the one whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. So John recognizes him first. Why? Because you remember that story in Luke 5? We've done this all before, guys. You remember? A couple of years ago when Jesus first called us and we went out on that boat, and you remember the first time he took us out, he told us he was going to make us fishers of men. And you remember what he said? Hey, drop your nets down. And we didn't catch any fish all night. Why are we going to drop the nets down? And we did it. And what happened? We caught so much fish and nets broke. So John connects all the dots. And he says to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he had stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. That's Peter in a nutshell. <laughs> that is Peter. He's already got everything off for swimming, but he gets dressed. He's got himself all down to his skivvy so he can work with the fish and jump in the water and pull on the nets. And he throws on his jacket and jumps in the water. And he, he wants to get to the Lord. He threw himself in the sea. The other disciples, it says, came in the boat dragging a net full of fish. They couldn't get the fish in the boat. So many fish, they couldn't get it in the boat. So they're, bringing, they're dragging the net by the boat to the, to, the, to, the, uh, to the beach where Jesus is at. The other disciples, they come dragging a net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, about 100 yards off. And when they got on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in its place with fish already laid on it. How many of you know that it is Jesus will give us the things we need? You get to the beach, fish are already there. You didn't need to catch no fish. He's already got them. And there's bread already there. Breakfast is ready. So Jesus said, bring some of the fish you caught. So you might as well eat what you caught, right? Bring some of the fish you caught. So Simon Peter went on board, listen to this, and hauled the net ashore. That's why they call Simon Peter the big fisherman. Because the other fishermen couldn't get them fish in the boat. But when the boat got to the shore, Simon Peter went out, grabbed that net, and dragged them fish onto the shore. He's a big fella. He pulls that net up on the shore. He's probably full of adrenaline. Now the Lord's watching, right? You ever try to do something when somebody's watching? It's amazing how much better you can do it. Wives, you, you want your husband to be energized to do whatever it is you're trying to get him to do? Say, I want to come watch. I'm going to come watch you work, hon. I'm just going to sit there in a chair. I want to see and they get out there all sudden, boy, that rake's moving extra fast. That mower ain't been so sharp. Whatever things, whatever things are on the list, man. Jesus is out there watching, and Peter's like, look what I can do. Look what I can do. And he pulls, that, pulls them fish up, and it says the net was not torn. This time the net did not tear. Look what it says. I'm just, just going to touch on this briefly. <clears throat> So Simon Peter went aboard, hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And all there, although there were so many, the net was not torn. I have in my library of commentaries, I don't even know. Let's say I have 10,000. There are so many theories about what it means that there was 153 fish. 
there's so many ideas about, you know, what letters it represents or what words it's spelling out. It's got to be a secret message, right? There's 153 fish. Why in the world does the Bible tell us there's 153 fish? I'm going to tell you how simple I am. Because there was 153 fish. Man, I make a lot of money, but nobody want to read my commentary because my commentary says there's no significance. It's just 153. I literally, I had to go get a special book to understand the words that this commentary was using about the theory about what the 153 meant. And I read it about 10 times. And I really wanted to come tell you guys something amazing about the 153. And I have settled on the fact that it's because there's 153 fish. <laughs> and we get to heaven and there's a mystery there. You can all go neener, neener. You didn't have any idea what you were talking about. But I'm pretty sure it's because there's 153 fish. But there is no end to volumes that have been written about what the 153 means. And you should chase it down. It's a lot of fun. There were words I read that I didn't even know were English. I thought it was a different language. Turns out it was English. So what was the response when the disciples come to Christ? What's the response? The Bible tells in James 4, 8, if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. God wants us to draw near to him, but he doesn't want us to do it in some kind of false piety. You can have real piety. I'm okay with that. Just, just don't have false piety. Don't, 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 don't be a Pharisee. Don't be a Sadducee, people who who acted holy but had no interest in actually being holy. It's okay to want to be holy. That's good. But when you draw near to the Lord, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. There's nobody who's not, that doesn't reflect upon. I, I am a confessional believer. And what I mean by confessional is not I hold to the Apostles' Creed or some other creed. Uh, which I do, but what I mean is I live my life by confessing. There's not a day that goes by that I don't have to confess to the Lord my own struggle, my sin, my jealousy, my anger, my whatever, that I got to confess to him, come to him honestly about who I am. This is who I, God's not, God knew me when he called me. He's not going, oh my gosh, I never thought Jackie would do something like that. No, he knows who I am. He wants me, honestly, to be able to look at him and know who I am standing in his holiness. And that, what that means is, I need you, Lord. It's not, look what I can do by myself. It's, I need you. I can't do anything without you. Isn't that what the Bible says? Jesus said, you can do nothing without me. So we, we need to understand our dependence upon the Lord. Isaiah 55 Verse 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. The unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him. To our God, for he will abundantly pardon. This is the relationship the Lord wants with us. So he comes to Peter, James, John, Nathaniel. He comes to Thomas, the guys who are out fishing. 
and he makes himself near to them, 100 yards away. And he has a fire and some fish, and when they know it's the Lord, what do they all do? I want to be where you are. I want to be where you are. I want to, I want to do what pleases you. Every one of those guys, they, they come to Jesus. They want to be where he is. So Jesus looks up at them in verse 12, and he gives the invitation, come have breakfast. And it says, now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? So it means there's something different about Jesus, right? He, there's something different about how he looks. There's something different about the glorified body. Here's the good news. That's good news. I'm not all that thrilled with the one I have now, and I'd rather not spend eternity with it. Now, I don't know what the new one looks like. I just have hope that it's enough different that I'm like, something's different. I'm going to go with better. <laughs> Be careful. You think you know what better is. For, for all the guys who spend 12 hours a day working out, you're all yoked, muscles everywhere, super trim. You're going to be bummed when you find out we're all going to be sloppy fat people in heaven. <laughs> yeah, it's funny now, huh? <laughs> Anyways, I, I know that... Maybe, maybe that's not true, but we, here's what we need to understand, right? We, we have a lot of systems in which we put value. And really, none of those matter if they're not the ones God puts value in. Amen? It's about, it's about what is valuable to him, not, not me. I, I want to honor him. Yeah, I want to honor him. And I, and I want to try to honor him in, in, in every way that I can. I want to acknowledge him. As Lord, So Jesus said, come have breakfast. None of them asked, who are you? Because they knew it was him, but something's different, right? Otherwise, John wouldn't put that in there. So Jesus came and he took the bread and he gave it to them. Just like that last supper, remember? Took the bread and he gave it to them and also the fish. This is the third time Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. The third time. You have... You know, Jesus standing there telling Thomas, here, reach your hands into my, to my, to my hands, into my side. Touch and see, be believing, not unbelieving. You have many times the scriptures tell us that the disciples had doubt. All the way to the, to the end, when Jesus is lifted up into heaven, Matthew 28, 17 says, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but... Some doubted. There were some who, who struggled. Some are still struggling, not with the idea of that's Jesus and he's going to heaven. You just saw that. But you're struggling with your, what do I do now? What do I do now? Can you imagine what it's like to walk with Jesus for three years and then not have him and have Jesus say to you, it's going to be better? And how in the world can you imagine it being better? How many people, how many times have you said, I wish I could just see the Lord. I wish I could touch him. I wish I could look into his face. I wish I could sit before him and, and hear Jesus saying, it's better if you don't have that. That's pretty wild, no? So some of these guys, they're struggling with that. They're struggling with, 
with unbelief. They're struggling with, I don't, I don't understand how I'm going to accomplish these things. But they also, at the time, Matthew 28, 17, they don't know the power of the Holy Spirit. They don't have it yet. They don't have the power. They have the Holy Spirit. They don't have the power. The power comes, Acts 1, 8, right? Stay here till you've been endowed with power and the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you will have what it takes to be my witnesses, right? Well, Jesus, after they had finished breakfast, he said to Simon Peter, here's this, this statement. I want you to miss it. This statement sets the bar for what's going on between Jesus and Simon Peter. He said, Simon, son of John. You get it? Oh. When Jesus called Simon, son of John, he said, from now on, you're going to be called Peter. You remember what I told you about naming? When you name something, it says something about ownership. Your your mind. And, and that was a powerful thing to Peter, right? That Jesus is saying, hey, you're mine. I'm going to rename you. You're Peter. Now they're sitting around a fire. Peter just was fishing and he calls him his old name. Simon, son of John. And he said to him, do you love me more than these? And that phrase ought to start playing in Peter's mind. Matthew 26, 33 through 35 is, the, is kind of the best line out of it, but we read about it in John too when we saw Jesus telling the disciples about a betrayer, that he was going to be betrayed, that, that before that night was up, everyone was going to flee him. They were going to run from him. Peter said, listen, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this night before the rooster crows, you will deny you even know me. Three times. Peter said, even if I die, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing. So when Jesus said, Simon, no Peter, do you? Love me more than these. He's taking his hand and he's pointing at those other disciples. Do you love me more than them? You guys are all out here fishing. Do you love me more than them? The other thing we can't see in English, we have one word for love. In Greek, there are multiple words for love. There are two different words used in this section. Jesus says, do you agapeo? Do you love me with a self-sacrificing love? What did Peter say in Matthew? Even though, it, even though I have to die, I won't deny you. So Peter claimed a self-sacrificing love for God, right? I'm willing to die. But what, what did he, Jesus said, Peter, do you love me with a self-sacrificing love? Do you agapeo me? And Peter responds, Yea, Lord, I am your friend. Peter uses a word, the word phileo. It's also a word for love. It's not as, it's not as, I don't know that I want to say deep. It's not as, well, 
self-sacrificing. Yeah, you're my friend. Well, Jesus said, greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. It's not a bad word. It's just not the word Jesus used. It's like Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, you, you would die for me more than those guys? And Peter looks at Jesus and says, I'm your friend. Yea, Lord, I'm your friend. And then Jesus gave him a challenge. This is beckoning him into ministry. Are you perfect, Peter? No, I ain't perfect. Did you do all the things you said you're going to do? No. Let's, let's just settle this real quick in here today. Everyone who's perfect, raise your hand. Huh. It's crazy. Except for a, a, a couple comedians, nobody raised their hands. <laughs> We're not perfect. Is there anyone in here who has not sinned? Now, a few weeks ago, I, I, I made a statement that, that all sin is not the same. There, there is a, a distinction. There's a distinction in the Bible about sin. Some sins are worse than others. Do all sins separate you from God? Yeah, all of them. In that way, all sin's the same, right? All sin separates us from God. Uh, was there a greater penalty for someone who committed murder which is a sin, by the way, right? That's breaking the Ten Commandments. Was there a greater penalty for that than there was for uh, some, somebody telling a lie? Well, yeah, you, the murderer got put to death. The liar, depending on what the point was, paid restitution. You both separated you from God. You're guilty before God for both. Okay, there's distinctions. There are distinctions in sin. And this is where most of us struggle because we can't imagine someone else's sin being okay. But ours, we always are good with the mercy God gives us for ours. And the reality is that the Bible teaches us this. You don't deserve mercy, none of you, not for any of the things you've ever done. And by grace, God gives you mercy. And you, therefore, have no right to withhold mercy from another. So your sin may be different than theirs. In your eyes, their sin may be worse. So the grace of God is greater. Isn't it? The mercy of God is greater. Is God able to cover that sin? For sure. Woe to you who look at a brother's sin as though it's worse than yours. When you have received the same grace. Jesus told a story. Two men owed a great sum. Right? Two men owed a great sum. Both were forgiven. Which one loves more? The one who was forgiven more. Huh? He also told a story about a man who was forgiven a great debt. Went out and beat somebody who owed him less. And was going to throw him into prison. You remember what happened to that guy? Yeah, that's probably not an example we should follow. Amen? We want to be following the example that says, yeah, we extend grace. So the Lord is going to commission him. He's going to say to him, feed my sheep. Feed. Literally, that's what it means. Feed them. Feed the sheep. Who are, is it, is it Peter's sheep? Look at the words. What does it say? Feed 
My, whose sheep are they? They're Jesus' sheep. Do you own the sheep? No. Do I own the sheep? Nope. Does anybody own the sheep? Jesus owns the sheep. How did he buy the sheep? With his blood. Did he pay for them all? Are they all his? All the sheep belong to Christ. They're all his sheep. What did he tell Peter to do? Feed them. What's that mean? Peter, I want you to teach them the things that I commanded you. That's part of the commission in Matthew, right? Go into all the world, make disciples of every nation, baptizing them, teaching them, and understand I am with you until the end of the age. Right? So he's telling them, I want you to teach. What's he mean? Teach the sheep. These are adult sheep, right? Teach the adult sheep. Teach those who are understanding their commitment to Christ. Teach them. Not babes in Christ, right? People who are there, make sure they're fed. Feed the sheep. Scripture goes on. He said to him a second time, Simon, ooh, same name. Simon, son of John, do you agapeo me? He asked him again. Peter responds, Yea, Lord, you know that I am your friend. So he said to them, Tend. Oh, sorry, I backed back up. First one was feed my lambs, babes in Christ. Second one, tend my sheep. Tend my sheep. Yea, Lord, I'm your friend. He, he challenges them. Tend the sheep. This word for tend, this word means give care for wounds, provide for discipline and give leadership. Like you would a young sheep, a, a young lamb, a young lamb, someone who's new in the faith. You got to come alongside. You got to help them endure the struggles because everybody's new once and we're excited and we get together and we think when I join the church, everybody's perfect there. And the reality is everybody's just like you. And that's disappointing. And eventually a sheep is going to bite a lamb. And then somebody's got to tend the wound, right? It's okay. This is who we are. This is what we do. We're part of the body of Christ. We're part of the body of Christ. The head of Christ is Jesus. He's the Lord. And we all have a part to play therein. Tend them. Help them. Heal them. Uh, give them. Provide for discipline for them. Instruct them. All of these things are important things that need to be a part of what someone serving the Lord is going to do. And so in verse 17, he said to him a third time, Simon, still not using this name he changed, right? Simon, he said to him, do, do you love me? He said to him, Simon, are you my friend? The Lord abandoned the word agapeo. That's why the next phrase is, Peter was grieved that he said to him a third time. Not because he asked him three times. Because the Lord was asking him if he would die for me. You die for me, Peter? Remember, he just didn't. He denied him three times. Peter, you'll die for me? Peter, you'll die for me? Now he asks him this. Are you my friend? Now Peter's grieved. The Bible says Peter is grieved in his heart. <clears throat> because he said to him a third time, are you my friend? 
So he said to him, Lord, you know everything. What is Peter referring to? Lord, you knew when I bragged that I was going to die for you, that I wasn't going to die for you. Lord, you knew that I would have a desire to go back to fishing even though you've commissioned me to go into the world. Lord, you know my fears, my fear of failure. In all of this, Peter says, you know everything. He's saying, Lord, you know everything about me. You know who I really am. You know the me that we all try to pretend isn't there, that we cover up with everything that we possibly can. We put on our best clothes. We put on our fancy masks. We drive in the parking lot fighting all the way. We jump out of our car, put on our smiles, and walk into church. Right? Yeah, I see you guys do it. I've seen a couple of left crosses in the cars on the way in the parking lot. And all I do is say, yeah, I know what it's like. It's okay to be real. It's real life, real people, real struggles. It's okay. But we don't stay in that real. We come to Christ to be transformed, Amen. So it should give us compassion for one another when we realize, oh, yeah, yep, either I remember or, yeah, that's how we came in, too. We could pray for one another. We should do that more, no? Not less. Nowadays in the church, people say, pray for me. We think that's, uh, oh, that's a cop-out. Nobody's ever really going to do that. But there's... Endless stories in the history of the church of God doing great things because men committed themselves to pray. Because the body committed themselves to prayer. God is able to do even more than we can imagine. Lord, you know everything. You know I am your friend. So Jesus said, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. First, feed my lambs, young converts. Tend my sheep, those who have been wounded. Feed my sheep. Sometimes we're just going to come along and make sure the word of God, that thing that Jesus commanded us to do, teach them the things that I taught you. Who is Jesus? Don't, don't lose sight of this. Who is he? According to Revelation, what's it say? He has a name written on him. King of kings, Lord of lords, he is the word of God. Every word God delivered to the nation of Israel and to us, Jesus Christ is the expression of it all. He's the word. God the word. He is the revelation of God to men. He is how we can know who God is at all. There's no way to know God apart from Jesus Christ. God, the word, the word of God. Now, I'm not saying the book in your lap is a, a deity. I'm saying it represents his words, what he said, what he did, what he taught. And we ought to be committed to obedience therein. To what he is calling us to. And this is what he's challenging Peter to do. Peter, this is what I want you to do. And now he's going to give Peter the imperative of discipleship. 
Okay, so he's Simon, 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 Simon. Now Jesus, he's, Simon knows who he is, right? He's not, he's not overly saying, oh no, all these other losers, they're losers, but I'm better. Right? That's, that's kind of what facilitated all of this. Now, Jesus is going to say to him, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you dressed yourself and walked where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. Another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. The imperative of discipleship is there is a price. There will be a price to following Christ. The days are now upon us. They are not coming. They are here. There will be a cost. We're standing on your convictions on the word of God. There will be a price. Here he's saying to Peter, he said, the scripture says this, he said to, to show what kind of death he was going to glorify God. We've always known that the price includes death. What did Jesus say in Luke 9, 23? He said to everyone, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, which is not just a piece of jewelry around your neck. The cross was an implement of death, right? Take up your cross, follow me. Follow me. Where did Jesus go? Where was the culmination of Jesus' earthly ministry? The cross. Death, burial, resurrection, ascension to the Father. Jesus calls us to follow him. That's what the road looks like. There is a cost. And he's telling Peter, there's going to be a cost, brother. And so he does what he did at the beginning. Please don't miss this. He does what he did at the beginning. He said... Peter, you're, one day you're, you will die for me. And here's why this is important. Because Peter made a boast. Even if all these other guys would quit, I'm not going to quit. I'll die for you. Now Jesus says to Peter, you will. There will be a day you will die for me. Lord, you know everything. You know that I am your friend. Peter, there will be a day. You'll, and then listen to what Jesus said. Right after he says, Peter, there will be a day you will die for me. And then he says what he said at the beginning. Follow me. Not go fishing. Not go back to the old life. Not go back to some other thing. You wish you could. Was it in the matrix? I wish I could take the other pill so I didn't see the real world. And once you've entered into... Uh, a relationship with Christ, there's no going back, there's no jumping ship, there's no getting out, it's moving forward. Jesus said to Peter, follow me. Now Peter's still Peter. He doesn't become somebody else. He's still Peter. Because he's going to turn around and see John, who likes to write in the Bible that he's the one Jesus loves. And he says, hey Lord, I'm going to die for you, and I, I, I want you to know this, I don't think Peter's bummed about that i think he's nosy i don't think he's bummed if you're a man one of the one of the most uh, important motivations within us is to be able to die for something we believe in the biggest fear of most men is to be a coward and not do it 
So I don't think this is bad. This is not Peter being depressed. This is, I know sometimes ladies are like, what? That's the weirdest thing ever. I'm sorry. That's just sort of how God made us. But we want to die for a worthy cause. We don't throw our life away, but we want to be that committed. That's something inside of us that wants to be satisfied. And so Peter is like, yeah, I, I want to. Uh, so he looks over at John and says, well, what, what about him? Tell me, Lord, <laughs> is he going to die for you or, or no? He's, he's a little bit of a loser. He's smaller than me. You know, still Peter. Still Peter. What's the Lord say to him? Peter turned, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who had leaned on his back at the supper and said, Lord, is it who, who is it that will betray you? Peter saw him and said to Jesus, what about him? Jesus said, if it is my will that he remains till I come, what's that to you? The Lord says, what's it to you if somebody else has a different walk than you do? What's it to you if somebody else doesn't have to go through cancer, but you do? What's it to you if, if you have to endure the death of a close personal friend, but somebody else doesn't have to? What's it to you? If any of those things would indicate you would not follow the Lord, he's not your Lord. The word Lord means, where you send me, I will go. Your people are my people. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Nothing will separate me from you. If you recognize that, you've read the book of Ruth. It's what Ruth declared to Naomi. I am not ever going to leave you. You're my Lord. So Jesus says to Peter again, Hey, Peter, it doesn't matter what John's walk's going to look like. Now, we can argue endlessly. You can say, well... Peter had it worse. He got crucified upside down. And John only got boiled in oil and lived. I always think living's harder. No? When's the last time you were boiled in oil? And then survived it. So now you have to recuperate from being, yeah, that was, that's John. John was boiled and old. Then he was thrown off on the Isle of Patmos. He's drug around as an old man. He lived forever. When he was 95 years old, he was brought before the congregation at Ephesus. And they brought him up, the last living disciple, and they set him in front of the church, and they said, what should we do, John? Give us incredible wisdom. You knew Jesus. And he said, my little children love one another. You don't know what somebody else's walk is, and they don't know what yours is, so let's stop comparing, and let's just do the one we have to do. Is that okay? We'll do our walk, and we'll do what John said. Learn to love one another, encourage one another, the body united together, one focus, one Lord, one God, one King, one Savior, Lord of all, right? 
our eyes on the prize, the glory of Jesus Christ. So what does Jesus say to John? Follow me. And of course, we take that and we built some kind of craziness out of it. So they started telling stories about how John's going to live forever. <laughs> right? They start telling stories how John's going to live forever, but that's not what Jesus said. <clears throat> this is the disciple. He is bearing witness that these things are true. And then he closes the book, same phrase. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things, who has written these things, and we know his testimony is true. There are many other things Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain all the books. Jesus said, you follow me. Amen? Why don't you guys stand with me? Let's pray. I want to encourage you guys, if the Lord is so... Uh, moved in your heart to support Gideon's those guys will be outside the door you can just give them the envelope on your way out I also want to encourage you guys to remember what John said to Ephesus as an old man all scarred up for his long walk my little children love each other find lots of reason to be disgruntled and irritated with one another the mark of a family is none of that matters. We get mad. We say things we shouldn't say. We apologize. We forgive. We move on. Amen. Father God, we just give you praise for this morning. We thank you for the truth of your word, the challenges that scripture gives us. Lord, I do pray that we want to follow you. That we do call you Lord. That we do walk in obedience. It doesn't matter where I throw the net. I'll throw the net where you say. God, I pray that we would challenge ourselves to be obedient servants of our great God and Savior. Do what he said. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's a command. Jesus said, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Then Jesus said, all the law and the prophets are summed up in these two. Love God, love one another. Doesn't mean just ignore sin. No, that's not loving. It doesn't mean to pretend something's not been done or not been wrong there's not a wrong that's been committed no it just means to be honest truthful confessional lord forgive me for my sin for my failure for my arguing with you when you tell me to throw the net on the other side when you tell me this is sin or that is sin and i want to i want to fight against it because i love you god every one of us is having the same conversation that jesus had with peter do you love me the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Do you love me? Will you love one another? This is how the body of Christ moves through the days that are before us. 
This is how we march toward the kingdom of God. This is how we encourage one another, just like the first century church who went into imprisonment singing, counting it all glory to suffer with Christ. I would rather be obedient to God than any king or president or congress or councilman or mayor or anybody else. I will follow you, Lord. I will love you to the best of my ability. I may not love with the love of God, but I will love with the will with the will I am capable of. I will love my neighbor as myself. I will love the brethren. I will pursue peace. I will make disciples wherever I go. I will teach them the things you commanded me until I see your face. In Jesus' name, amen.